everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today we have an amazing guest for you. It's Alicia Ramos from Girls Night In. It's one of our absolute favorite newsletters. She's been a guest at two of our live shows now. We're so happy to finally have her on the podcast. I know. I'm so excited. Should we talk about ourselves before we talk to Alicia? Yeah. Becca, what's your high this week? So my high is my secret project. Drum roll. Which is secret no longer. So I'll tell you what it is first, then I'll tell you what my high is. So I'm working with my friend Rachel on a new podcast. She's leaving this one. It's just going to be me going forward. It's not. Don't say that. (laughs) I'm just kidding. It has nothing to do with that. (laughs) So I'm working with my friend Rachel on a new podcast. It's called Rom-Com Pods. And uh, think of it as kind of a cross between an audiobook and a radio play. So it's going to be each season will be a different rom-com. And there'll be actual actors who are the voices. And yeah, we're we're writing and producing it. And then we won't be the voices. We'll have actual voice I wanted actors. you to be a voice. I think and we'll, I feel like you're going to get a lot of DMs because everyone loves your voice. I think we'll give ourselves a cameo, but I don't know that I have the acting range to actually pull it off. <laughs> I think you do. So, but yeah, we're so excited. Our goal is to do four seasons a year. I don't know. We'll see. That is so aggressive, but I think if anyone can do it, you can. Each season will be six episodes, so they'll be – and they'll be like 30-minute episodes, so it'll be like a – more of a quick thing. We're so excited about the story, which I'm not going to tell you about quite yet, but my high this week is that we finished our first draft this week. That's incredible. Which was a huge accomplishment. Neither of us have ever written anything like this before, and I think it's actually quite good. It's an ugly baby right now. It needs polishing. But getting through the first draft was like, it was like the hardest part. That's so exciting. I'm so excited. So, and guys, I can just tell you, like, as her friend, she's been working really hard on this. I have. And we are hoping to launch it in June. So, I'll, now that I'm talking about it, it's, it's open knowledge. So, I'll keep talking about it. But, um, if you want to do me a solid, you can follow us on Instagram at romcom pods, and you'll be the first to know about everything developing in that universe. It's not in iTunes yet, is it? No. Okay. Not yet. We'll um we'll probably release the trailer in early May. Yeah. And it'll be on iTunes, but not yet. You can't. Ugh, I can't subscribe wait. Yet. I can't wait. I think I was your first Instagram follower. Well, I think I was our first Instagram follower, yeah, but, but I think you were our first Instagram follower who wasn't us. I'm your first fan. Yeah, you're our first yeah. fan. Yeah. So I'm very excited. It's been really, really fun. I said at the beginning of the year that one of my New Year's resolutions was to like find more passion and work. Not that I'm being paid for this yet. I'm paying to create it. So <laughs> I don't know. On that front, we'll still call it work. Um, but I've just been so excited working on this since the beginning of the year. It's been so fun. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. It's just, this is really exciting. It is really exciting. Yeah. Tell me what your high is. Mine is, well, if we're going to just be sarcastic for a minute, I think I was pretty much built for quarantine life. You've been practicing. I've been practicing. So my whole life has been leading up to this moment. This is not a real high. This was a joke in case you got my my weird joke. Um, My high is that work is going really well. I've got a lot of projects I'm super excited about. My Amazon Drop Collection is launching so soon. 
And I just turned over all of the assets to Amazon. Like I've been up to like 1 a.m. several nights, like just weird things like cropping images and making like weird videos where I'm spinning around in the product so people can see it at every angle. Um, So it's been so much work, but I turned over everything to them last night and they got back to me and said everything was perfect, which like I'm a perfectionist and I thrive on comments like that. It's all happening. Yeah. And you guys, I can't, I still am not allowed to say the launch date, but I will be telling you the launch date soon if you follow my Instagram and stuff. And it's just, it looks so good. I think the quality is really great. The patterns are so fun. You've been such a tease because you've been wearing the, I some know. Of the pieces on your Instagram. It's all I want to wear though. Like legitimately, like I don't. I all I want to wear is that red leopard nightgown. I wear it with my trench coat. I wear it with a denim jacket because it's been warm. I'm gonna give you something new to want to wear in your in my obsession. Okay, I can't wait. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm so proud of it, you guys. Like it's it's eight pieces. It's so great. It's gonna be really affordable. It's launching soon. Yay! And that's all I can say. I guess I feel like I'm like we're both a bunch of dicks. We're just teasing people with our our projects. Well, you have a reason. We both have reasons. You yours is because Amazon won't let you. They won't let me. Mine was because I was afraid that we were going to like fall on our asses and then be embarrassed if we told everyone already. Yeah. So what about on the low front? On the low front, um, this coronavirus stuff is is freaking me out. Um, last night President Trump made his um announcement to the country and I think I I I had one of those days where I was just working from home and I had no meetings so I just had the news on all day and I had the news on for 9 hours I want to say and by the time I went to bed I was just like oh my god this is like so cuz I've been pretty chill about it until now I was just like this is so scary so I don't really know what I'm so scared about like you and Alex were kind of saying to me well there's such low odds if you do get sick you'll just stay home and you'll get better but it's just really scary. It's scary. It's something to take seriously. But at the same time, I think sitting and watching the news for nine hours is not the best thing to do. No. Yeah. Read a book. I'm going to read a book tonight. the news makes their money by... I know. By sensationalizing things. Not sensationalizing necessarily, but on keeping you engaged. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it's a 24-hour well, news cycle. There's always going to be something new for them to say. But let me tell you, I am... Very engaged. And I have to laugh because I watch the news like every day, but never for nine hours. Everything is a breaking story. Like the amount of times last night they're like, and this just in breaking. I was like, how many breaking things do you have in like a one hour period? I mean, don't get me wrong. I've definitely been staying up to date on the New York Times app. I don't know if I could see my specific New York Times app usage on my phone, but like it would probably be. Yeah, it's a It would be. A very interesting graph to see. Yeah, it's like it's going up the way that cases going are up, going. I up. know, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm trying to stay calm. I, you yeah. know, you and I both don't have risk factors. We live alone. We work from home. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not going to a lot of concerts, but yeah, <laughs> you know, it's also interesting for me on the work front. Like, I had um, I was there was two events that I'm supposed to host in March and April, and both of those got canceled. So. And then I had a sponsored post from March get moved because the product – no one knows where the product is because of coronavirus. So um, I'm going to be fine financially. But like James Nord was – we had a little brainstorm today like because he's working on some stuff for like influencer tips for like how to stay sane during coronavirus. And he's like, I've been telling everyone to just brace themselves for like a 20% decline in revenue. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But he's – I don't know what he's basing that off of. Yeah. He can't know. Well, I mean you can't have – 
events and then a lot of stuff with product and then a lot of people. But do you know what the other thing, just to play devil's advocate, is I've been spending so much more time on Instagram. That's what I told him. I told him he should start charting Instagram engagement from like now onward because I have too. I've been just like I need a distraction. So I go on Instagram and I start liking things and like looking at people's pretty pictures and beach vacations and things. So it'll be interesting to see. I do think that Instagram engagement will go up. I also think more people will listen to podcasts and t- hopefully ours and tune into oh Netflix. Oh my God, I think Netflix is going to be, the Netflix usage is going to be insane. Yeah, someone I was following said something really funny. It was like a funny tweet about buying stock in Netflix. And I was like, yeah. Oh, I mean, the stock market's not doing great. So. No, it's not. Yeah. But yes. but yeah, this stuff is scary. Wait, it is. what's your low? I feel like that's your low too. Well, no, my my low is very specific. So I feel like I am pretty – I have a pretty good head on my shoulders about coronavirus. I'm not freaking out and, you know, it's fine. Um, but I am very specifically anxious about the subway. I am too. And I don't know why because I'm not anxious about other ways that I might get it per se. I wasn't se. anxious on an airplane, but the subway for the some subway reason – The subway just seems so dirty. Yeah. Oh, so I um I had to go into the city twice earlier this week, but now I don't have any things that I need to go into the city for for the foreseeable future. So I feel much more relaxed now. But yeah, the subway thing, like on Tuesday morning, I had to go into a client's office and like I was just like really worked up over needing to take the subway. Yeah, I was worked. I've been worked up. I was going to have to go in tonight and I was just like, I'm going to Uber like it'll be fine. But I just like ugh. there's something about the subway. Yeah. Well, it's just not a clean place in the best of cases. Yeah. It's not. So. Especially when it's real crowded during rush hour. Well, let's get some, something happier. Let's talk to Alicia, who is the queen of staying in. So very applicable now that we're all staying in. I know. We didn't even plan this. We didn't. It's every girl's night in now. Yeah. <laughs> so today we have Alicia Ramos with us, who is the founder and CEO of Girls Night In, a new self-care company helping women relax, recharge, and cultivate community through smart content, events, and a fun Friday newsletter. And the GNI weekly newsletter reaches 170,000 plus millennial women across the globe. And prior to founding Girls Night In, Alicia worked in the technology industry as a designer and engineer. And she served as the design director at Vox Media, helping to build products and platforms for millions of passionate readers. One of her passions is helping women of color and underrepresented people pursue careers in technology. And she has previously given talks on inclusivity, diversity, and privilege in tech. And Alicia graduated from Harvard University with a degree in sociology and history, and she lives in Washington, D.C. Alicia, welcome. Alicia, you are very impressive. Like, I knew that, but that bio, I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you both for having me. We're super pumped. We're so excited. We've been wanting to have you on the podcast and just waiting for you to be in New York at a time when we could all coordinate schedules. Yes. I know. I'm really in New York now. I think I used to live here for a year and a half, and I think I'm still recovering from (laughs) that period of time, so... Yeah, I'm glad we made it happen. Thank you for making a New York exception for us. Yes, of course. So wait, so we introduced you, but can you tell us in your own words who you are and what you do and give us the walkthrough from college until now about how you got to where you are? Oh boy, starting from college? I guess so. Okay. Um, So I went to Harvard for undergrad and 
I always thought I would be a writer, a journalist, actually. So in college, I started as an English major. I got into, I couldn't get into the Crimson, which is the, their magazine, their, um, mm-hmm. their actual newspaper. So I went with an alt weekly magazine called the Harvard Voice and eventually became editor there and kind of got my editorial chops through that extracurricular. And then I think something happened in sophomore year where I was like, I don't know if this is a viable career option, uh, journalism. So I switched majors into sociology and because there's no such thing as like pre-MBA or like business or anything, anything practical Harvard does not have. So um, went into sociology, took classes on like leadership and organizations and things like that. Um, And then senior year rolled around. I candidly had a, a really tough time senior year. I think it was really hard being surrounded by all type A people who were being funneled into a very specific career path, whether it was in finance or consulting. And I thought, oh, these are my only two options. I can go into finance and work at Goldman Sachs, or I can join BCG and do consulting. And, you know, like as a creative, I really struggled with that, but ultimately went with the crowd and did consulting in New York for a year. So I actually worked at this firm called Profit to do brand strategy consulting. It was really tough for me in terms of work-life balance. There was absolutely none of that. We worked from, I mean, there was a project where I would work from like 7 a.m. in the morning and then till 3, stay at the office till 3 a.m., go home to my apartment in the East Village, shower, take a nap, and then go back to the office. So, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It was not the lifestyle for me. There was a lot of travel involved. I'm naturally an introvert. I need to conserve as much energy as possible. So I think I just like very quickly found out that this isn't for me and that's okay. It doesn't mean that I'm a failure, although at the time I thought I was. Um, so I quit that job with nothing lined up. I was I was pretty unhappy and miserable. And so I just decided like for my own like mental health sake, I can't do this anymore. So I quit. Um, and then I did a lot of reflecting on what I enjoyed as a kid. And I actually this is so dorky, but I taught myself how to code when I was eight. I was wondering that. I was wondering in That's, this whole story how you became an engineer without having majored in it or worked in it up to this point. Yeah. Um, I was a very – I was an indoor kid. That's so you know? impressive. Uh, thank you. Um, I was an indoor kid, and so the only, you know, like access to the outside world that I had uh, was my family computer and, and the internet. So I I learned like basic HTML. I remember there was a website called Funky Chickens. I don't know if that rings a bell or like Lisa explains it all where it was um, like for kids. It was like, hey, do you want to learn the basics? Here you go in like really fun, fun ways. So I learned that. Um, I also I'm just remembering, like, I I also created a newsletter with my AOL account. What? Way, way back when in elementary school. (laughs) 
Who did you send it to? Your classmates? My crushes. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, you had a newsletter for your crushes? How my, many people? Well, how many my friends and have? my crushes. I had two and they were brothers. Oh, my God. What was the content of this newsletter? I don't remember. It was – I honestly don't remember. I would die to see a copy of this. I would die, too. I think it was honestly, like, elementary school level gossip and just – funny pictures and things like that this was predestined i guess so i don't i guess i always had a a thing for newsletters um anyway i am getting off track so i i learned how to code had i guess a predisposition for being creative with my writing with newsletters um i would go on neopets a lot i don't know if that rings a bell for either of you as a child as a child oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, as a child i didn't know if we were back to Akilah like you were Hughes loves love neopets too i didn't know if this was like in your time off after oh, your no. job and you were like i got really into <laughs> neopets <laughs> this was me this is me like reflecting on okay what what brought me joy oh, okay. as a kid okay. and it was it was a lot of those like internet based things including um coding and writing and, and designing and and online communities and so long story short I quit my full-time job um and I took the next six months building a portfolio I I retaught myself how to how to code with free resources I couldn't um afford like general assembly was becoming a thing back then and their classes were like fifteen thousand dollars and i had maybe a thousand dollars in my bank account so um that was out so i taught myself everything like refresh my memory um created portfolio pieces with the the intention and the goal to have a job as either an engineer or a designer preferably both at a company in New York or DC. So and you did that it. Was that. And I did it. and I did it. Um it took me like 6 months to to build that portfolio and at this time I actually moved back home to the DC area to save on, you know, rent is very expensive. Um and ended up interviewing at a few places, got rejected a lot because, I mean, I remember I interviewed at um, Squarespace in New York and they just took a look at me and they're like, yeah, no, you're you're way too junior. We, You're not qualified for this. Um, so I had a lot of rejections, which was good for me to experience. Um, and then interviewed at Vox Media and they took a chance on me and they're like, okay, sure, come join as a front-end engineer so and then what happened how did we get from there to girls night in and then i mean i i have to say joining box was like a complete 180 from working in consulting it was like a, an awakening of understanding oh life work doesn't have to be so stressful and so like handling levels of bureaucracy and all of that, like it, I can have work-life balance. I can have teammates who actually care about me. Um, it was so wonderful, and I learned so much there. Um, so I was there for, I want to say, a little over three years, okay. working mostly on the revenue platforms team. Um, I got to learn a lot about the media industry. I became friends with a lot of the editors there and tried to – like brute force a lot of um, 
editorial and product team cross collaboration. And it was just a really fun time um, to to hone my uh, coding skills, my editorial skills. Um, and then I think I just hit a wall at Vox where I wasn't growing anymore. I wasn't really learning. And I also started wondering, okay, like, how else can I contribute to society? <laughs> um, and I met this co-founder of a company called Nava, which was a public benefit corporation. Essentially, they um, are, they're still around, but they are a government consulting agency. And they spun out of the healthcare.gov tech surge from when the website went down and all these Silicon Valley types came to fix everything. And these um, five co-founders decided to stick around the DC area. Um, So they reached out and I was like, I don't know, I love my job at Vox and Eventually, they persuaded me to join Nava, where I worked on healthcare.gov. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my my role was to redesign the consumer experience of healthcare.gov, and I joined um, a week and a half before the election. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then <laughs> the election happened, and I, I mean – Essentially, like, I couldn't do my job anymore. None of us on that team could because the policies were changing. Everything was changing. Everything was kind of, like, put on hold, essentially. Um, so I I think I experienced a period of burnout at that time, too, in a way. Not because I was working a lot, but because I felt mentally fatigued from, like, trying to, like, brute force my way through this wall that just couldn't be broken. Uh, So around that time is when I started reflecting on like, okay, well, I have all this creative energy. I'm naturally a creator. I love sharing things. Like what can I create and build? And I remember I was sitting at my mom's um, or my parents' dining room table and I just started brainstorming and writing down all sorts of entrepreneurial ideas everything from like and I still have the list on my phone um but it was everything from like I want to create pillows with the DC flag on it and run a little like side thing to um I want to create board games for 20 something women because they like to stay in and do more analog things um I want to create like a book club type experience and I think I was like slowly iterating towards Girls Lane without actually knowing what it was. Um, and eventually, I, I I don't remember how, but I I landed on the name Girls Night In and wanted to create products that help you stay in. So it started as a commerce, like a product yeah. idea, um, but I didn't have any money to do that. <laughs> so I decided to go back to what I know, which is writing and sending newsletters, apparently. Um, so I decided to write as if I'm writing to my friends, and I shared that with um, a few people on like my social media and my personal network in the first issue went out to like 300 people, I think, in January of 2017. Wow. wow. Yeah. 
Now, just in case somebody isn't familiar, could you give us like the quick elevator pitch on what Girls' Night In is and kind of what your mission is? Yes. Girls' Night In is a self-care company and community, and our main product is a weekly newsletter where we share smart reads and recommendations for your night in. We also have an offline community component that grew organically um, where we host monthly book clubs in a few different cities. So it's it's a little bit of an online community and an offline community. It's mostly the newsletter is our yeah. main product. I love that you've like extended it into an offline community. Too. Yeah, it's yeah. been fun. So we got so many questions for you about building Girls Night End. So many people okay. were curious about how this got made. So let's go back to the very beginning. So you said you're sitting at your parents' dining room table. You're brainstorming. Were you looking for a creative outlet or were you thinking of like, this is going to be my new career? Um, I think a, a little bit of both. At the time, another thing that I did at the time was I created a list of women-founded companies and brands that I really admired, um, specifically brands that grew on like a smaller scale at first and and grew kind of organically. So I'm trying to think off the top of my head, like Rifle Paper was on mm-hmm. that list. Um, I can't think of any of the other ones, but I don't know. I've always been entrepreneurial and I in college, I like interned at a venture capital firm, which is a whole other story for another time. Um, You are a lady of many careers. You are. (laughs) Um, And I think also in college was around the time when female-founded companies were beginning to become a thing like Birchbox. I remember I signed up for Mm -hmm. in 2010 when I was um, a sophomore and Rent the Runway was just starting. And I started having exposure to this a possibility that okay, like it's it doesn't have to be a white man starting a company. It can be anyone. Yeah, yeah. So that was really inspiring to yeah. me. Okay, let's take another quick sponsor break. Today's episode is also sponsored by Book of the Month. So Book of the Month is a monthly book subscription, and here's how it works: every month they feature five new and early release books, and you can pick one or really as many as you want, and they mail them right to you. Yes, and we absolutely love Book of the Month. So in my opinion, one of the coolest elements of Book of the Month is that they very often have early release books a month or more in advance of their release date. So I love getting my hands on the hot new book before it comes out. It feels like being part of a VIP book club. The other thing that I really love, and I know you love too, is their curation. Whenever they pick a book, I know that they've done their research. It's going to be worth reading. I can step outside my comfort zone a little bit, try something I wouldn't usually pick, like maybe historical fiction or a more literary pick. Well, speaking of, what did you pick for March? So I ended up getting two books. The first one, we, we've talked about this one, is The Two Lives of Lydia Bird. And um, that was like heartbreakingly sad. It's Josie Silver's second book. We both absolutely loved One Day in December, so I had to read that one. And then I also got The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson. So he wrote The Devil in the White City, which is one of my all-time favorite books. So I had to get it. It actually just came today. Ooh. Yeah. What about you? So I picked Writers and Lovers by Lily King. So the book is set in the late 90s. It follows a woman who's trying to balance work, love, and live a creative life, all while reeling from the death of her mother. 
So I loved this author's first book. I was doubly intrigued when it was Jenna Bush Hager's book club for the Today Show pick. So I haven't read it yet, but I'm excited. You have to let me know how that goes. I definitely respect Jenna's taste. So if you're nervous about the subscription aspect, we totally get it. Book of the Month is completely commitment-free. You can skip a month as often as you'd like, or you can use your credit on a pass pick. It's honestly one of my favorite pieces of mail to receive every month. Um, And if you love reading or if you want to read more, Book of the Month is an absolute must. And we have an offer for you. So head to bookofthemonth.com and use code BOP10 to get your first book for just $10. So again, head to bookofthemonth.com and use code BOP10 to get your first book for just $10. All right, let's get back to the episode. So I'm curious, somebody asked, what gave you the confidence to believe in Girls' Night In when it was just a concept in your head? Like, how did you get from brainstorming to to doing it? Yeah, Um, that's a good question. I I struggle with confidence to be honest in all aspects whether it's like business or or just personally. I think thinking back to the beginning, a lot of my confidence came from external validation actually. A lot of it was like my friends responding to new- the newsletter and saying this is so great, keep going. Um a very specific story that I like to tell is um about two or three months into writing the newsletter, I get a text from my my fiance, Corey's brother, who was on a trip to San Francisco. And he was at dinner with his friend and his friend's new girlfriend who like he had no um, connection with until that night. And she like saw on his cell phone that he was like texting with me and Corey. And she goes, oh, do you know Alicia Ramos? Like, is that the same Alicia from Girls' Night In, and he was like, yes, what? And she was like, I love her newsletter. That's such a cool feeling. And it was it was so cool, and it wasn't even like, oh, I'm such a big deal. It was more just like there are people out there who I don't know who are, who are so passionate and so excited about this idea that they're willing to like say something like that um, to someone they just met. So – I, I think it was like a lot of stories like that of um, people I I had no connection to who were writing in or I don't know, yeah, just sharing with me how much they enjoyed it. So that was that was how I kept going. It's got to be such a good feeling. Now I think I know the answer to this, but what made you decide to base the company in DC? <laughs> just wanting out of New York. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, so my, my family's there, um, my, my then boyfriend, now fiance's family's there and DC is a great city. You, you both been there. Yeah. It's very no, we love DC. Yeah. We just got so many questions about either, will you hire people from outside of DC? Why did you base it in DC? And yeah. Stuff like I that. mean, there's no, there's no like strategic answer other than that's where I live and, it is where I could see us building out a company. Um, it's unique for the DC area. There are not a lot of consumer brands there beyond I can think of like Framebridge, um, and that's yeah. it. <laughs> Tucker Neck, <laughs> Tucker Neck, yeah, yeah, in in Georgetown. Um, yeah, there's not a lot. There's not a lot. So I think that actually is a unique differentiator for us. I think personally, I love my life there. It's It has 
Um, it's definitely no New York, but it has a growing foodie scene. There's a lot of great restaurants there. Um, I think suburbs-wise, there's the opportunity to like move out to – I mean, we live in Bethesda, which is a suburb – just outside of DC and it's just like stroller city like so many f- young families and it's just a really livable area um but we do have teammates outside of DC so i just hired our f- our first full-time teammate she's out in LA okay. so we're starting to like iterate towards what does a remote friendly company look like yeah yeah so going back to the beginning did you raise money? Did you raise capital to get the business off the ground? No, not when I not when I first sent out the newsletter. It was it was a side project actually. I had a full-time job at the time and I quit my job about 6 months after sending out the first newsletter. So no, and then I didn't raise until um like a year into doing the newsletter. Yeah. Yeah. What's the experience been like growing it? Uh, it's been it's been challenging. I mean, I would I would be a liar to say it's been easy. Mm-hmm. Last year specifically was really challenging because I went from just being one person in my apartment in my like PJs and or sweats writing the newsletter, um, and I did that for like two years which is wild to me um well, i've been doing that for five years yeah i don't yeah, know how i don't do it. i love it i i, I don't like, want to have an office i salute you that is amazing um it was really it that was really difficult i think last year i went from w- one person team to um five full-time employees so i spent a lot of time hiring while also keeping the business running which is really difficult to do um i think that paired with uh you know it inherently g and i started with me as the brand voice and as me writing every single newsletter and touching every part of the business whether it's like our instagram feed or how we treat our partners to how we talk to our community and i think scaling myself has been difficult and something that i'm i'm still learning how to do yeah i think about that all the time like for my blog as well like how to scale when everything has to be in your own voice and your own narrative and your lens on the world like it's tough i mean i had a really good chat yesterday with molly chen who has been on this podcast and i asked her for some advice on how to scale a brand and i mean her big thing was all about toolkits like you have to spend the time to write down like what are your brand values how do you speak to your customer or your reader um what would you say and what wouldn't you say like it it makes sense to spend that time and i haven't done that yet but that's probably the next step for me um i think another big learning for me in managing a team has been to step back i'm naturally a control freak and a perfectionist and i when i see something going sideways i have a tendency to like step in and fix it or like help our team in a very hands-on way. And recently I've I've, um, challenged myself to step back a little bit. And even if I see something happening, I'm like, "Mm, I don't know if I would have done it that way or "Mm, I don't think that's the right answer. 
I am trying to learn to like let my team fail in a way and learn those lessons themselves. Not to say that they constantly fail because they don't. They're very hardworking. But, um, you know, there are some situations where I'm like, I, I can't. If I continue to step in to every single scenario, then our team's not going to grow without me. So, that makes sense. You yeah. have to empower them. Molly is yes. such a good example, though, of someone who's grown, who's like done that with a brand voice. Because in the beginning, she was everything, all the social media channels for Birchbox. And then she scaled, as they scaled it and she built a team, the voice yeah. never changed. It always felt like really consistent, like yeah. very friendly, like chatty. Like it, it sounded like Molly. Yes, totally. It still sounds like Molly today and she's not even there. <laughs> that is such a testament to yeah. to how good she is at her job. Yeah, so. and toolkits. <laughs> yes. We all need them. <laughs> yes. So wait, can we rewind a minute? So you mentioned that you had a job when you started this. And I want to know about when you decided to quit and make your side hustle your main hustle. And I know specifically that you've Mm -hmm. written about taking a huge pay cut and deciding to do that. And I'm just, I'm really curious because I think that's such an interesting decision process of like, hey, I have this thing that's kind of working. I'm going to take the leap. Oh boy, yes. So like so many things tied to that. I just to recap um the story that I my financial story that I had shared on the Money Diaries podcast, I was making either 140,000 or 142,000 dollars at the time uh when I started GNI as a side project and yeah, I mean quitting was a really difficult decision for me. I think you know, like growing up, I experienced a lot of financial instability with my family. There's a lot of like financial traumas there that I kind of like witnessed on the side. And I um, I think for a while I was just t- chasing stability and quitting your job is the <laughs> epitome of instability. Like the literal opposite. <laughs> the yeah. literal opposite of that. So it was really terrifying, but um, I made a lot of financial steps to get there. I ended up saving like $20,000 of like emergency, like a safety net basically to last me for at least I think like six months. I gave myself a cutoff of like, okay, I'm going to do this if I can't sustain myself and if I run out of this cash after six months, I'm going right back to work and making six figures again and and it'll be fine. Um, But if I didn't have that safety net, I would have not not been able to make that leap at all. Yeah. And did outside of the monetary aspect, did you have like a benchmark in mind when you were like, when Girls Night In has X number of subscribers, I will feel comfortable quitting my job? Or when we have this amount of sponsorships, I will feel comfortable quitting my job? That's a really good question. I think at the time when I quit, we we were selling classified ads, which shout out to Ann Friedman because she- Oh, she does that too. She yeah. does that too. And I got the idea from Ann and she- took time out of her busy schedule to have a call with me to walk me through exactly how she manages that. Um, so she's been so supportive. So that was that was the initial like revenue stream, but it wasn't even that much. It was maybe like a thousand dollars less than that. 
And then we had maybe two sponsorships in the newsletter that were um, not that much either. So it wasn't even like we were making a solid revenue stream month to month. It was more just like, it's not fair for me to sit at this desk job and have my brain somewhere else yeah. completely. And I'm like the Instagram's blowing up. Like so many people are are commenting and liking. And I'm like, oh, this is so fun. But I have to work on this other thing. Um, I was really torn by that. Yeah. yeah. I remember feeling the same way when I was at Bobble Bar, like trying so hard to focus on – and it was really hard because it was social media. So I was like looking at theirs and then I was like looking at mine and then I was like, this is a mess. Yes, and you also exactly. just feel so guilty. You feel really guilty. Yeah. And yeah, I I didn't believe like that I could balance those two. What was the first big sponsor that you guys brought on? The first big sponsor was not even a brand. Actually, it was an agency. It was – a creative agency, um, and they had a – they're called Bueno, and they have a branch of the agency called Bueno where they literally just give money to causes or people that they believe in or think are cool. And, and you were one of them? I was one of them. I was like, this is free money, and, like, do you need anything from me? And he was just like, um, no, this is cool. Like, we really want to support you. And so yeah, it wasn't like, like an investor. It was just a gift. It was just a gift. It was and like your fairy god business. It was like my fairy god business. I was like, oh, my God, I just got this much money. And, like, thinking back now, it's like it wasn't that much. But at the time, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be rich. Like I can finally invest in like this, this and this thing for the newsletter. So that was a really big moment. And then our second large sponsor was Penguin Random House, I think actually. Okay. Yeah, who we worked with again. And I know you yeah, both worked with them too. We love them. Yeah, they're, they're great. great. Um, what do you think the, the most beneficial partnerships have been in terms of the business's success? Um, That's a great question. In terms of the I like the free money success. one. I mean, that yeah, sounds pretty I mean, beneficial. that helped us be successful for sure. Um, partnerships. I mean, I think it's it's really been the brands that our team truly loves that we've had a sustained relationship with. And I'm sure you, Grace, you feel the same way about brands that you work with that return to you again and again. And the alignment is just so perfect. Um, so one example of that for us is Everlane. Mm-hmm. Or really, bit. I'm actually wearing Everlane sneakers right now. Um, I feel like you wear a lot of Everlane. <laughs> Are they and the my, new ones? My purse is Everlane too. Cute. Yeah. Um, so they they've worked with us for a few years, and we've gotten to know their their team, and they're great. Um, so that's been great. Let's see who else. I mean, Everlane. Paying, I think the publishing houses too, like it's such a natural fit for our community. Or like book of the month. So, or book of the month, exactly. Yeah. That was such a fun campaign we to love put them together. Too. Yeah. Um, it just makes so much sense. And that's really where, that's what I love about G&I so far is that um, we have been really aligned with our partners and we have turned away partners that don't align with our values or think like why would – our audience ever buy like this random like insurance thing mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't make sense no it feels good being able to turn down business yes yeah yeah okay so now we're going to take a quick break to talk to you about another podcast we are loving and think you guys might love too it's called other people with brad listy 
So every week, Other People features in-depth interviews with some of today's leading writers. And just like our podcast, new episodes drop every Wednesday. And they have such an incredible archive, all for free, with more than 600 episodes and counting. So that's so much content. Yeah. And the guest roster is really amazing. So past guests have included luminaries like George Saunders, Roxanne Gay, Cheryl Strayed, Jonathan Franzen, Celeste Ng, Susan Arlene, Brett Easton Ellis, and more. The lineup of authors is seriously impressive. Agreed. So follow the show on Twitter at OtherPPL and find it online at OtherPeople.com. So it's people, but PPL. And of course, subscribe to Other People, which is again, Other PPL um, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know what you think. Back to the episode. So we got a lot of questions about your book club, which is obviously something we have vested interest in because we love book clubs. Yes. But we wanted to hear from you. Well, I guess, first of all, can you tell us more about your book club and how you started doing those? Yes. It started pretty organically. Um, I had no like grand plans or anything. I think it was the month after I quit. So I quit in June or July and our first book club was in August. We read um, Startup by Dory Shafrier, uh, who has her own podcast, mm-hmm. Forever 35. Love them. Um, and that one was online only. I, I literally just posted a uh, the cover of the book and posted it on Instagram and was like, use this hashtag GNI reads to join our book club. And then in the comment section of that post, I saw that our readers were wanting to actually meet in person to discuss and they were kind of like self-organizing. Um, so the next month we read Mothers by Britt Bennett. And that was the first month where we had in-person book clubs in D.C., Toronto, and New York. And how did that work? Because you have ambassadors, right? Yeah, we had hosts who, honestly, they were just people who emailed me. And they were like, can I help you do this? And I was like, sure, I have nothing to give you. But (laughs) I was going to say, do you pay them or anything? Well, we yes, like we've always paid our hosts. We split um, the ticket revenue 50-50. Oh, I forgot that you sell tickets to them. Okay. Yes. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, because it's a lot of it's a lot Event of planning is a lot of work, and I think people deserve to be paid for that. Do they um, find the venues and everything? Yes. Okay. Yeah. We're Sorry if I'm asking ignorant questions. No, no, no. no. That, that's a good question, and it's finding the venue – is probably the hardest part of all of that is finding the venue. You have to find um, like food and beverage sponsors, everything. So it's a lot of work, but we had a a really passionate initial group of hosts who have stuck around for many years, actually. And they planned an event every month. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. How big are most of them? Um, Feels like a full time job. Maybe I'm just thinking about sponsors and coordinating. Yeah, no, it's a lot. And we've we've evolved it since, and we can talk about that too. But in New York, um, we were maxing out at like 40, which became a little bit nutty to try to have a a book discussion. How do you have a productive conversation? Yeah, you can't. (laughs) It's like the answer. Yeah. Um, So we ended up splitting New York into two, so Manhattan and Brooklyn. But even those started to become like 30 to 40 people. And yeah, now we actually don't have 
those city book clubs anymore because of various factors. They were lovely, um, but I think internally it was a lot for our team to help our network of like 20 or so hosts um, manage things uh, operationally and we're kind of like shifting our model into a different thing. Can you talk about that? Is that open? Um, yeah, I can talk about it at a high level. Where well, so somebody asked the reason I'm asking. I know what it is, but there was a follow up. <laughs> I question. don't know what it is. I want to know. There was a follow up question where somebody said, "Could a girls' night and book club ever meet in someone's house?" Hmm. Yeah. That. Yeah. I mean, the answer is yes. And our next, I think the the biggest thing for us was the learning that a, a few learnings. Like one, um, you can't really have a, a productive discussion with thirty people sitting in a big circle. It's like kind of awkward. It's got to be like ten or twelve. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Or even less than that. Um, and then second is people were coming to our book club specifically, yes, to discuss the book, but mostly to meet new people. Um, I don't know if you've found that the case with um, your live shows. Live shows, like yeah. for my my blog's Facebook group, girls are always organizing, and they do this on their own meetups and stuff. I think there's like a real epidemic of like women in their 20s and 30s that just want to meet new friends. Yeah. I totally agree. Epidemic I mean, makes it seem negative. Epidemic. It's definitely positive. <laughs> no, it it's is a loneliness. No, epidemic. but it's a loneliness yeah. epidemic. Yeah. There is a there's a problem in the way that we are right now as a society. I think people are really lonely. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I think there's there's an article I read, I think last year, where the Surgeon General of the US declared that there is this loneliness epidemic and it it does affect people's like not only your mental health but your um like your mortality as well like uh-huh. it's not having social ties and connections is is real like that's that's not that's not a, a good thing for your health yeah um yeah and i agree i think for our audience they are in this age where or at this age range like late 20s early 30s where you're in a transitional period in terms of your friend groups and you are trying to figure out like how do I meet people in like non-awkward ways yeah yeah without being that weirdo at like bar class who Mm -hmm. um says hello which I I don't think is weird but you know for introverts doesn't always feel comfortable yeah yeah yeah, exactly yeah can we talk a little bit about self-care yes So I know that your newsletter is around staying in and around self-care, but I feel like self-care has just become such a loaded word used to sell things. Totally. I'm really curious how you define self-care. And I'm also curious what your your biggest pet peeve is around the self-care industry. Oh my gosh. So many pet peeves. One pet peeve I dislike, I've been described as the self-care queen and I'm not... I don't even know what that means. I don't think of you that way. I think you're like Thank the introvert you. queen. Thank you. Yeah. I like I I would prefer that to self-care yeah. queen. Self-care queen it's makes me think of weird. someone who's like always getting massages. And yeah. Yeah. you think of somebody who lives in a bathtub. Yes. <laughs> yes. There's a, like a face mask and like a wine glass or something. You know who I think yeah. is the self-care queen is Kathleen Jennings Beauty on Instagram. You guys should follow her. She literally always has a mask her. on. She, like, does these chin masks that I just started doing, too, because they, like, define your jawline. Oh. But every – like, she even does in the – she's a mom. In the carpool, she masks. Oh, my, oh gosh. my gosh. She has a hashtag called carpool masking. Well, wait. How That's do you – How yeah. do you define self-care? 
self-care. I So I went to this um, healthy-ish conference, whatever it was, um, like two years ago, and Jenna Wortham gave a really wonderful talk about how she defines wellness. So I'm going to steal her quote, which I don't know that this is verbatim, but she basically said, you know, wellness – isn't really a state of being. It's a process. It's like a constant thing that you have to work on and it comes in in ebbs and flows. And that's how I define self-care. You can't achieve wellness and you can't achieve self-care. Like for me, ironically, I have had times where I felt like I am at the like complete opposite end of the spectrum of like whatever self-care is supposed to look like. I'm like so burnt out and anxious and stressed. Um, so I think it's a constant evolving of, of being in touch with what you need in that specific moment. And for me right now, um, I would say self-care is um, actually like stepping away from work a little bit, like physically and mentally. I'm taking my first vacation in like a year next week going to LA (laughs) nice so pumped um and I'm not doing any work I just I am tired and I and I think I need that mental complete like cut cut off break from working constantly and thinking about work and I also for me it's thinking about like my internal values and what's driving me I think not to get super philosophical, but I think for the longest time I've been driven by success. Like I need to be successful. I need to achieve. I need to do this. And there are many reasons like why I am that way. And a lot of it is from like childhood stuff. But um, I think right now I'm in the process of like figuring out, okay, why have I always felt like I need to achieve xyz why have i always felt like i need to grow this business into this big thing like why um and a lot of the answers aren't pretty it it is like oh because i want external validation or oh because certain people expect me to do that and it none of the answers are because like because i want to do that so um it's a lot of like fun self-reflection right now for me is how I would describe my self-care. How are you working through that? You can not answer me if you don't want to, but like, are you working with a therapist? Are you journaling? Are you just going on long contemplative walks? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm curious too. Um, I'm doing a lot of journaling right now. Okay. I actually, I posted this yesterday, but I am taking an Instagram like break, not cold turkey because I realistically, I don't think I could do that, but just a break from that so that I have more mental space to be reflective. I think I've the past two years I've been in this constant like work and output mode and I'm ready to like step back and just reflect a little bit. So it is journaling therapy for sure. I mean, I'm looking for a new therapist right now. Um, I was going to say like the other part of my self-care right now is to deal with some family things that are happening right now. I mean, I have realized that I've actually been in a state of like um, grief and trauma for the past few months because of a relationship that I lost um, recently. And so my self-care is finding a new therapist to help me work through that. So huge proponent of therapy, Um, but I need, I want a new one. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Back to the self-care <laughs> industry as yes. a whole. I'm cur- I'm curious. I interrupted you on your pet peeves. Other than being the queen of being self-care. Oh, my gosh. Should we put that in the, in the show notes? <laughs> We're so excited. I am not the queen of self-care. Um, pet peeve about the industry. I mean, I think I had a good chat yesterday or last week with a reporter who was working on a story about these new brands that are up and coming who are branding everything with the lens of self-care, whether it's like cleaning or organizing or um, knitting or painting, like everything is self-care. So that definitely is a pet peeve. I think it's just taken away from the meaning of it. Yeah. Um, Like internally, our team, we're actually thinking of not using that term at all oh, like okay. moving forward because it's become so meaningless. Um, so we're – as a team, we're also doing a lot of reflecting on, <laughs> on, on what we're – Yeah. Yeah, on what it means. Um, I also don't like it when people assume that I take baths like every night because I, I actually don't like taking baths. I take a bath almost every night. If I'm, Good for you. Yeah. A lot of times, though, it's just because it's been a long day and it's 9 p.m. And I'm like, what's the quickest thing, like the quickest way to relax that isn't alcohol? I love that. Do you have like a ritual, like candles and or do you? I just dump whatever bath oil or salts are in there and I read for like 20 minutes. It also makes me tired. Yeah. So then I am like ready for bed. I love that. Yeah. It's not for me. I get dizzy when I get out of like a hot bath. Yeah, a lot of people don't like baths. Yeah. I also look at baths not as something to get me clean, but something that's like for relaxation because I get a lot of like messages being like, why do you – this is so off topic. Bath bath, bathing is gross. Like I'm like, I'm sorry. Like I'm relatively clean when I get into the tub. Like I showered in the morning. Like, I can't be that dirty by the time I get in. Yeah. No, I get that. It's like a relaxing ritual. I wish growing up – so I grew up in South Korea um, as a child, and we used to go to public saunas, and I kind of wish we had that everywhere here because it's so nice to just sit in, like, a steamy room and I think that do nothing. Have you ever been to the baths in the East Village? No, but I used to walk by them when I lived there. Oh. I got a massage the other day. I haven't, but I, I've i read – I know Allison Roman really likes them. Like, I've read a, articles, trend pieces about people raving about them. Okay. Well, I don't want them to become, like, a trendy – Yeah. That's – I would definitely check that out. I know there's there's definitely, like, Korean, um, like, jimjirbangs is what they're called, saunas in um, somewhere in Virginia, but oh, they're kind of way out there. Yeah. I got a massage at um at a hotel the other day and they, I got to use their spa afterwards and I just sat in the steam room for 20 minutes and like felt so good afterwards. I love that. I was oh a little gosh. dizzy afterwards, but Yeah, I just like being in a warm room. I yeah. I also go to hot yoga for that purpose, mm-hmm. not even for the workout, but because I just like being in, in a, a steamy hot atmosphere. Room. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Just sweat it out. Yeah. So I love that. Going back to what you were saying around the fact that your team is in a self-reflection mode and and kind of thinking about what the evolution is. I'm curious what you can tell us about what's on tap for Girls Night in 2020 or any big goals that you have for Girls Night in. Yeah, I mean, for this year, we're really focused on expanding self-care, what that means to us. Um, we may or may not be 
keeping the girls' night in name. I'm gonna big be, news. I'm gonna be upset about that because I think it's such a good name. Thank you. Like I wish that was the stripes name. Maybe I'll take it. No, I don't think you'll let that. Tradesies, tradesies. You want to be the stripe? <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, yeah. We'll we'll see, but we're you know exploring that. Okay. Um, community is really big. I think we stepped. We took a step back from our network of offline book clubs and we're ready to evolve it into the next thing. Um, I think I liked that model. I think it was a little less accessible. Um, and it also didn't really serve the purpose uh, for which G&I partly exists, which is to help you build community. You can't, again, like you can't do that with a group of 40 people in, in a room. Um, so look out for some fun community products. And then long, long term, I've I am a avid consumer of products and consumer brands, and I've always um, wanted to create like physical goods. So we're also thinking about like what does what could the brand look like in like a consumer product extension? What would make sense for us and our values? Um, and then a, another long term goal I have is to work with a nonprofit or some organization on an advocacy level, specifically around the topic of mental health. Um, I think there are some really great orgs out there doing great work like Crisis Crisis Text Line or um, the National Alliance for Mental Illness. And uh, would I would love to partner with them and figure out a way to destigmatize mental health further. I love that. Yeah. Okay, let's take one last sponsor break. So this sponsor is very near and dear to our hearts. We are both huge believers in this company. Becca worked for them for years, and I was actually one of their first customers. If you don't know about them, Lola makes tampons, pads, and liners made with a 100% organic cotton. So until I started working at Lola, I hadn't really thought about the ingredients in my tampons. And I was really, really shocked when I found out that the FDA actually doesn't require brands to disclose a comprehensive list of ingredients. So most tampons on the market are made from a mix of rayon and polyester and can be treated with harsh chemical cleansing agents, fragrances, and dyes. I definitely don't want that in my body. So we've also learned that your vagina is one of the most absorptive parts of your body. What's great about Lola is that their products are 100% organic cotton, so none of that other BS, and they tell you the ingredients right on the box in big letters in plain old English. And it's also really nice that it's a subscription so that the products come right to my door and I don't need to worry about running out or forgetting to buy tampons before my period. Totally. I haven't had to make one of those frantic drugstore runs in years. Lola is just so, so easy. I love their packaging. It's a beautiful white box that looks nice in my bathroom. I had to point that out because before I found Lola, I did something really – it's very grace. I had a um, an old Hermes bag, and I would dump all of my tampons out and put it in that. <laughs> of course you did. It's very – I told you. It was very me. It had to look pretty. I don't do that anymore because the, box, the Lola box is pretty. Um, so it's high maintenance, but I had to say it because most tampon boxes are so ugly. And they're kind of belittling. They're all pink. Yes, I know. And the other great thing about Lola's subscription is that you can change, skip, or cancel your subscription at any time right online, and it is so easy. The last thing I'll say, 
and you worked on this, which is so cool, um, is that Lola has donated over 2 million feminine care products to homeless shelters across the U.S. So I love knowing that I'm supporting a woman-run company that's also doing something good for me and others. So if you're ready to try Lola, you can take 30% off your first month subscription with code BOP30 at mylola.com. So again, take 30% off of your first month subscription with code BOP30 at mylola.com. Let's get back to the episode. Somebody asked, what challenges have you faced as a female founder? Mm, um, I mean, in one right off the top of my mind, fundraising for me sucked. And I don't know if it was specifically because I was a female founder because I just like didn't know what I was doing at the time. I was just making things up and completely honestly botched the process. Um, For context, we raised a pretty modest amount relatively. We raised half a million or I raised half a million in 2018. Um, But there was one conversation I remember with a VC that I just left that conversation feeling so angry and livid. He essentially didn't really take me seriously until he learned that I have a boyfriend who is an engineer who was helping me with some stuff on our website. And his ears kind of perked up at that. And I don't know, it's just those like micro things that come to mind um, that I don't think a male founder would ever experience. Ugh, yeah. Well, you're like, I learned how to code when I was eight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could build you a Neopets website, you know, <laughs> it's fine. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I also have to say like, A great thing about being a female founder is the community that comes with it. I do have founder friends that I have on like speed dial. I'll text them. We'll text each other. Like we'll vent and that feels really nice and um, got to to see a few of them during my trip here, which was nice. Oh, it's really nice. Yeah. We're all kind of going through similar things. So it's good. What about balance? Like I feel like this is a question that we get for everyone that we have on the podcast. But I think this is especially relevant for you because, you know, you talk about taking some time and like learning not to always be on and always working. So someone wrote, how do you balance the demands of running a business and your personal ambition with a need for downtime? I mean, it's hard. It's in one word, it's really difficult. Um, It has come in ups and downs for me. I think there's a few like very practical things that internally our team has put into place to help create that work-life boundary. One specific thing is we don't send emails or any sort of like work communication after 6 p.m. every day or on the weekends. Oh my God, Alicia. I love that. I like uh, working for myself. I don't know how that would work, but can I just put an auto responder out that just says I do not read emails after six or on the weekends. Yeah. I want you you to be, no, I want you to be my boss. I want to live this policy. I think you should do that. You know, who does do that? Who inspired me to do that for a while is Ashley Ford. Um, She has a wonderful, and Hitha now does that, or maybe it was like, my sister also does it. And it's like, I don't reply to emails on Fridays. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great to set an expectation for the other person. Um, I didn't know that Hitha or Ashley Ford did that. Tell me, tell me what they do. I don't remember word for word what Hitha's is, but it's it's. I haven't seen Hitha's. No, and I it email basically her a lot. like anytime you email her, it just responds. Thanks for your email. 
Um, you know, I have a lot of things going on in my life, X, Y, Z. I likely won't be able to respond immediately. And, um, you know, I might get back to you in like X number of business days or something. And I've certainly done, I've like stolen that idea from Ashley and Hitha and um, during like very, very busy periods of like work life or personal life. I, it's just really nice. It gives me peace of mind because who hasn't had inbox anxiety, like constantly refreshing it. And um, it becomes like a weird to-do list for you that somebody else has created and you don't have to live your life that way. I did something I made, I got that I think it's called Boomerang. It's a plugin for Gmail. And what I do is because I'll get anxiety if if something's just sitting in my inbox, but I don't want to put that on somebody else. So at like 8 o'clock when my brain's turning on and I'm doing emails, I'll boomerang it for 7 a.m. the next day. Yeah. So, A, it looks like I'm like tackling my inbox at 7 a.m., <laughs> which I'm not. No, I do that too. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like it's more respectful. Yeah. It, inevitably, like you might have something that pops into your head like at 8 p.m. And I sometimes I do, but I'll schedule it to go out like 8 or yeah. nine the following day. And or put fine. it in drafts. Or, or put yeah. it in drafts or something. And our team, I mean, to their credit, they've been really great about that. I think if you are listening and managing a team, I do also think it stems from the top. If totally. the CEO isn't doing that and your manager isn't doing that, your employees are not going to do that. So, totally. Yeah. Yes. I'm challenging myself to set the right example. Um the other thing I've made it a habit to do is go on a real vacation. So like last year I went to Greece and I didn't bring my laptop. I was like, I'm unplugging for six days or something like that. Uh, Bye. (laughs) And that's been a great example. I hope for the team, we have a minimum PTO policy. So it's not a PTO policy. I I share that you have to take at least 20 days um, per year. Uh, So, you know, there are like little small policies that you can put into place as a manager or as a CEO. I want to come work for Girls Night. Me too. (laughs) Oh, my God. 20 (laughs) days. That sounds great. Hire us. Oh, my goodness. Can we get into some quick random questions? Yes. Please. What is your ideal night in? And your ideal night out. Oh, mm, (laughs) my ideal night in right now would be – I have like two versions. Is it okay to share both? There's there's a more social version and then there's the more like I just want to veg out on my couch version, which would be getting pizza and with my fiancé, Corey – um, or by myself, actually. Let's leave Corey out of this. Just by myself, um, watching Outlander, which I'm extremely behind on, and just like in my grossest sweatpants, just like on the couch. Um, that doing, sounds incredible. Yeah, yeah. Mindless TV. And then the more social version would be cooking a meal. I recently – have you cooked out of Allison Roman's cookbook? It's basically okay, all Grace has done. Okay. <laughs> Oh, right. People thought that I was sponsored by her cookbook. I was like, no, I bought this with my own money at McNally Jackson. I just really like it. What's your favorite dish that you've made so far? If you're being really honest, it's the tiny salty chocolate cookies. I keep making them. The cookies? Yeah. But I love the salmon. That's a classic. The citrusy salmon with with shallots. I haven't made that one yet. I love all of the dips. Like the um, Oh, the, the beet dip that you made was dip. so good. I made the dip. 
The chicken yeah. with lemon and figs was good. That's a fave. Yeah. I've made that like four times. There's um, so many good For ones. my friends. So it would be ma- probably cooking something from that uh, for my friends, having them over and just like, yeah, chatting. No TV, like just just talking. Yeah. Yeah. An ideal night out. I mean, we – it would literally just be – Going out to dinner with my fiance somewhere nice in DC, and then being home by 11 p.m. That's I to love cuddle that. with our dog. Yeah, mm-hmm. I went. I'm always like, I want to go out for like two or three drinks, be home by 11, and in bed like asleep by midnight. A few weekends ago, yes. Grace and I went out to dinner and drinks, but we went out at like six. We were home by 9:30. <laughs> it was amazing. It was great. Six is like the normal time that we go out to get dinner maybe it's like a dc thing too but i think here it's very early it was yeah, very early very we were early. home by 9 30 it was amazing but we were also able to go to like a really nice restaurant because it was six o'clock so they had availability right that is that is a big bonus of um being an early bird yeah yeah I'm curious about this one because you live in D.C., so I feel like it's probably more prevalent for you. But do you have any tips for self-care when it comes to politics? Um, <laughs> self-care when it comes to politics. I mean, I, I think Hitha may have shared her news consumption routine. It, it was either – it was her or somebody else, but I am pretty regimented in how I consume the news and – like for me, that is my political self-care is just managing the fire hose of political content. Um, so I every day I listen to The Daily by The New York Times, and I also subscribe to The New York Times, and I have their app on my phone. I have recently gotten The New York Times app, and I feel like it is an active negative to my self-care. <laughs> Because I got the coronavirus <gasps> newsletter, and oh, that no. is also negative for my self-care. Yeah, I because I feel that. like with the app, I'm getting more alerts, which in, on the one hand, I feel more informed, but then I also feel more enraged. Anxious, and mm-hmm. yes. yeah, that's real. I've I've thought about turning off the New York Times notifications, because especially the like constant coronavirus um, notifs are not great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think... Yeah, in one where in one sentence, I try to limit and like very have a very regimented way by which I consume news. Yeah, yeah. Now, what about other also DC related, but a little more positive? What would your perfect spring day in B- in DC be like? Oh my gosh, my perfect spring day would be going to see the cherry blossoms. Um, they usually bloom sometime in April and I would skip the more touristy um, cherry blossom area which I think is like near the Thomas Jefferson Memorial and go to Dumbarton Oaks which is a historic house as well as a library and randomly it's like Harvard's annex library so they have a library portion um, and they also have again randomly a, a like a Colombian museum (laughs) attached to it as well okay and it's just like a lovely place to go it's like a really old estate home lovely grounds it feels like a park it's not as crowded um so i would probably stroll around there they have a great medieval um section i fun fact i 
my secondary or my minor in college was his medieval history. So oh, I I'm love a medieval history nerd. Um, so I'd do that and go – my dog would be there. My fiance would be there. And then D.C. has a lot of great like other cultural institutions and art museums. So I'd, I would walk around like the Phillips or um, the National Portrait Gallery and – yeah, try to be a, a, outside as much as possible. I love that. Ironic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, what are your other favorite newsletters other than Girls' Night In? Ooh. I love a newsletter. Me, Me too. too. It's one of my favorite ways to consume content. Me too. I want to hear your favorites too. But um, I love Molly Chen's newsletter. Um, she is always chock full of good recommendations. Claire and Erica's newsletter. Um, it's what is it called now? A, th- a thing or two. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, is great in their podcast. Um, let's see. New York Times Cooking Randomly. Mm-hmm. They have a What to Cook This Week newsletter. I think it's edited by Sam Sifton, and I always read that in Same. my inbox. It's very soothing. I love it. Um, and there's one called Internet Brunch. Have you heard of that one? I have not. Okay. I feel like you would both really love it, but it's by this – agency it's a design agency but they have a newsletter called internet brunch and it has different sections so there's like internet culture there's um entertainment um politics so like whatever harry styles or like the kardashians are doing like that's where i find out first usually interesting Um, yeah it's really well done i'm gonna subscribe to that that sounds up my alley highly recommend that one um yeah, those are my go-tos. The broadsheet for more like business uh, news. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have any top faves that um, I should know about? Well, I know you mentioned her, so I assume you love her newsletter. I love Anne Friedman's newsletter. Oh, yes. Of course. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of that. I also get newsletters from a couple of authors. I really love Mary Laura Philpott's newsletter, and she just usually recommends one or two books, and I I find her I a very that. reliable recommender. I also like Jasmine Guillory's newsletter. She has a newsletter? Yeah. She oh. always features something that she's read and then something that she's cooked. And then it kind of just has a behind the scenes of her life. I love that. Yeah. It's it. weekly-ish. I like that. Um, what you like mine? I like Grace Atwood's <laughs> The Stripe newsletter. <laughs> um, Do you write it every I was week? inconsistent. I brought it back last week after. Okay. February 28th, I sent my first newsletter of 2020. <laughs> okay. I like Hitha's a lot. Oh, yes. I love The Hitha's only two newsletter. that I regularly, like, never miss are Girls' Night In and Hitha. I like Ann Friedman's a lot, too. I get overwhelmed by email because there's just a lot of it. So yeah. I actually am, like, the one person who goes through a list of blogs, like, at least once a week and reads and looks at types the URLs right into my browser That's and goes amazing. and reads them. I kind of miss that internet where you would – do that yeah regularly. it's like fun i have my list and i will go look at them and i mean it is part like for work because i have a weekend reading ro- roundup of like my favorite things so i have to yeah but it's nice it's just like soothing to that me to like nice. type it type in like type in cup of joe type in atelier Dore. Mm-hmm. i forget she keeps changing the name of her site but you know it's very intentional yeah i like that i'm looking for less like i want somebody who i trust to curate for me like a you yeah for instance but also you know ann friedman in terms of feminist news or hers a little more highbrow than mine you know like i (laughs) I like finding somebody who has a perspective that i 
can trust and then mm. letting them do the curation for me as opposed to needing to consume the whole internet myself. That's yeah. how I feel about Heather and the news. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Have you heard of one? There's one called Chips and Dip. No. It's chips and Dip or Chips and Dips? Yeah. It's it's very – it's like business consumer brands oriented, but I feel like I, I discover a lot of new D2C brands through – that one. Oh, oh interesting. Yeah. I, I have good. a lot of things to subscribe to when yes. I listen to the rough cut of this audio. Yes. Yeah. I'll forward them to you. Wait, one last question. What is the best book you've read recently? Um, I'm reading one right now called The Art of Showing Up by Rachel Miller. It's it's an advanced copy. It comes out in May. Um, Rachel was a writer at BuzzFeed. She Her first book was about bullet journaling. And I like this one because it's all about how to show up for yourself first and then how to show up for your friends. So it really is about like how to nurture your friendships. And I like that it's really practical. Um, as much as I love like woo-woo philosophical books this one is very um actionable like you know how to um how to make a date with a would-be friend like if you're trying to approach someone in like a non-weird way um how how to like signal that you want to be friends or like friendlier or whatever um and she has like great scripts that you can follow and um on the self-care side too she has a whole chapter on like what to do when you're not feeling your best or basically like what to do when you're down in the dumps like here here are some actionable items that you can follow like even if you don't want to take a shower um one you don't have to but remember to like change your underwear and like all this stuff which is so it sounds silly because it's it's so foundational but I think that's also why I like the book so much um I also read I just put that in my Amazon cart yeah it's so good um I also read Know My Name by Chanel Miller at the end of last year I read that too yeah in January I loved it it was so good it's where it's actually our book club I saw that pick this month um like beautifully, beautifully written. She is such a strong person. I like watched a few videos uh, with Chanel Miller and her in interviews. And um, yeah, she is wonderful. And I love that. Um, what else have I read? Oh, You Never Forget Your First by Alexis Ko. Oh, I've heard that's wonderful. It's fun. I, I do think you have to be a little bit of like a history nerd to fully enjoy it, which I totally am. Um, but it's really funny, uh, smart. She also has like really fun like tables and lists in the book. Like she has one table that just describes all of George Washington's diseases that he had. It's an so for anybody listening, it's an it's a biography of George Washington. Um, oh, we got a copy of that, I think. Yeah. It sounds fun. It is fun. Um, but there's one specific part where it describes that George Washington suffered from malaria and the way that he treated it was prayer. <laughs> uh, so it's it's smart and I'm I'm in the middle of reading that one right now. Cool. So Alicia, you have been a wonderful guest and in the tradition of our podcast, you have earned your very own desperation minute to tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet and what they can do to support you. 
Thank you. Uh, my place on the internet, you can find me on Instagram at Alicia Ramos. You can follow Girls Night In on Instagram at Girls Night In HQ or sorry, at Girls Night In Club. Club. Yes. Right. At Girls Night In Club. I was looking at your Instagram while we were doing this and I typed in Girls Night In. It's some, oh my gosh. Some jerk has. Yeah. We can talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then our website is girlsnightin.co. Go Great. sign up for their newsletter. Yes. Yeah, do it. Do it. Grace, back to us. Back to us. Tell me what you are obsessed with. My obsession this week is making bread. Um, Tell me more about that. Well, making flatbread. So I am really into Allison Roman. Obviously, we know this. I all, I dove into dining in this week. I made a whole bunch oh, of Oh, that's right. Recipes. You didn't have dining in. No, I had it. I just hadn't cooked very much from it. Oh. I, I bought it after our episode with Molly Chen because she spoke so highly. And I just kind of like put it off. I don't know why. Um, but there's a recipe in there called sour cream flatbread. And I didn't really know what I was getting into. I was like, I'm going to make this. And then I like didn't read the whole re- recipe. And it's like you have to let the dough rise for two hours. Then you have to push it down and let it rise for another two hours. Oh, my God. So I had this project that was going to be my lunch my lunch and it turned into dinner because of the four hour of rising sure but it is like the best thing i've ever made Ooh! i don't think you fully appreciate carbs and all their glory until you make it yourself it's so easy like there is that waiting time but like if i can make this bread anyone can and then i what i do is after you make the dough and you roll it all out into these little flatbreads i grill it on a cast iron skillet. Like there's several ways you can do it. She said if you bake it in the oven, it'll be kind of crispy. But she said if you cook it in a cast iron skillet on the grill, it will be like fluffy like naan bread. Ooh. And naan is my absolute favorite. So I did it and it was so good and so easy. Ooh. Okay. What I I what I've been eating it with is I put like a little cheese on top and I melt it and then I um put I also made her olive oil roasted mushrooms and put those on top of that and a little arugula it's honestly the best thing i've ever eaten yum i'm feeling very domestic what about you okay so i told you earlier in the episode i think this is going to be what you were obsessed with wearing yeah so i'm on their site now because i'm curious okay so it's this pair of sweatpants from old navy i found them in hitha's newsletter last week she said that she's been wearing them constantly so i ordered two pairs i i'm jokingly calling them my pandemic pants i just like want to wear nothing but these pants are they the french terry ones they're not okay they're called plush knit lounge joggers for women and they are the softest pants they're not highly flattering they're not unflattering but oh my god grace they are, are they s- like velour no it's like it almost feels like cashmere but thinner, but it's obviously not cashmere because they're twenty nine ninety nine, and as of right now, they're thirty percent off of that. So okay, how sizing? Um, I would say true to size. If you're be- if you're like between sizes, size down. Okay, it's very cute. Um, I got a pair in the heather gray, and I got the oatmeal heather. Grace, they're so comfortable. Okay, I'm 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 on the site now and I want them. You should definitely get them. I'm thinking of ordering more, but the other colors, there's a maroon that I don't yeah. want. I wish they had black. The charcoal heather's cute. Yeah. Um, did you get tall sizing? I I got tall. I, okay. I don't think you need tall. Okay. All but right. 
But they're so soft and comfortable. I'm into them. Okay. We should get Alex a pair and we'll just quarantine in our yeah. in our old navy sweatpants. I'm into that. And I'll make us bread and you can make us funfetti cupcakes. Oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be great. What about on Instagram? On Instagram, oh my God, this company. So my friend, um, it's another blogger. Her name is Mary Summers Hafner. She's a Dallas-based blogger. She has the cutest outfits and she's pregnant. So if you're pregnant and looking for cute outfits, definitely follow her. But she um, posted this incredible caftan, and it's by a brand called La Vie Style House, and it's L-A-V-I-E Style House. And their caftans are incredible. I mean, this is not like quarantine things. This is These are definitely like resorty beachwear, like, but they have spe- – the ones I love the most are the um, the lace ones. So there's like this white one that has like this really detailed floral lace. And I was obsessed with that one. There's a really beautiful palm print one. There's this yellow one that's made out of this lace that is um, like stars. It's impractical and it's expensive. And I don't know if I'm going to splurge on one. It's like at the top of my wish list right now. But in the meantime, their feet is just bringing me a lot of joy because the designs are so pretty. Well, you can just admire them from afar. Look at this red one. Oh, that's really pretty. Yeah, so I don't know if I'm going to actually get one. I think they're like $600. Oh, my God. I know. So, But I really want one. I don't know. Yeah, it's a lot of money. I don't know. $30 joggers and a $600 caftan, guys. These are your your must-haves for this week. Those are your only two options. (laughs) I probably won't get one, but I really want one. So my Instagram obsession to just be – a little self-centered is please follow rom-com pods yes go do it yeah i'm so excited i also i love our logo the girl who did our logo and branding for bad on paper whose name is natasha walker um also did it for rom-com pods and i'm obsessed yeah it's very cute it makes us me want to get new art for us <laughs> what about on the reading front Um, On the reading front, I'm reading a book called He Started It by Samantha Downing, and I am unsure if I like it. Like, I've been struggling with this book, and I'm not sure if I'm, like, in a weird mood or if I'm just not into it. Like, there's this whole road trip angle, and I don't tend to love books about road trips. Like, Mm. I get antsy. Um, She wrote My Lovely Wife, which um, I think – You did love that I loved that book. Kate Childs got us to read that book or got me to read it. I didn't read it. Um, I'm I'm – not sure. the The verdict is still out, and I'm about. But it's a thriller. It's a thriller. So it's somebody's going to get murdered on this road trip. I think so. Um, I'm 137 pages in, and I'm still medium. So this is not a glowing endorsement. <laughs> okay, but we will see. Okay. How about you? Okay, so I finished the Glass Hotel, which I really enjoyed. Um, it was more literary. The ending was fine, which, again, I've talked about this before. Like, with a more literary book, I don't care as much about the ending, but I really enjoyed the book. So this is by Emily St. John Mandel, who wrote Station Eleven, and it comes out towards the end of March. But I felt like you were kind of met on it, and I really liked it. No, I liked it. I was just like, I it wasn't that exciting. Oh, I was it really was beautifully into it. written. I was really into it. So then I started this book called Beach Read by Emily Henry, and it comes out May 19th. And based on the title, I was like, this book is made for me. Yes. So here's what happened. So I, I read the first 80 pages and I DNF'd it because I was like, 
after our conversation last week about books, I was like, life's too short. I need to DNF things. And then I felt guilty that I DNF'd it. So then I un-DNF'd it and started reading it again. And it actually did get a lot better. So I'm not quite done with it, but I am enjoying it now. But again, this is a medium endorsement so far. I'll let you know next week what I think of it. Okay. But I'm very, very excited for my next two books that I have on deck that both came out last week. So if you're looking for something to read, I thought I would mention them because I feel like people are maybe staying in and reading more. Yeah. So the first one is Untamed by Glennon Doyle, her third memoir. Very excited for it. And then the other one is If I Never Met You by Vari McFarlane. And it's spelled M-H-A-I-R-I and pronounced Vari, which is very confusing. Oh, I didn't know that. I've been pronouncing it Mari. No. Vari. Okay, good to know. I have it's that like too. A I'm excited to read it. Thing. But she is my favorite British chiclet author, and she just had a new book come out, and I'm so excited for it. Oh. So if none of that did it for you, maybe you should check out our March book club pick. That's what I'm starting tonight, I think. I might DNF this one. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'll just table it for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Lie to yourself. Yeah. But our March book club is not going to disappoint you. It is I'll Give You the Sun by Jandy Nelson. It is a more literary YA book. It's about twins, a boy and a girl. And the story is told in two parts, the first one from one of their points of view and the second one from the other. Mm -hmm. And they're both very artistic, like it's very beautifully told. Um, And it just it gave me all the feels in in a happy way, in a good way. I'm excited to read that. So pick it up and we will be discussing it next week. Yes, we sure will. And... If you want more of us, follow us at Bad on Paper Podcast on Instagram. I'm at Grace Atwood. And I'm at Becca M. Freeman. Oh, and my blog is The Stripe. And also join our Facebook group where you can talk about books and other fun things. Come talk to us everywhere on the internet. Yes, do it. Okay, see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.